One Hope Church. And thankful that y'all are here. We can spend it um, together worshiping the Lord and um, and then hopefully you get a chance to enjoy some sunshine this afternoon because it is amazing. February, huh? February in the south. <laughs> so um, we're not snowed in or iced in, and so we're, we're thankful. Um, I'm going to start here because this is a little bit humorous, but there's a there's a, a, a real point to it as well. So, so last week, um, Derek preached out of John chapter 3, verses 19 and 30, through 34, as um, we had worked that out with um, my family coming back in from Virginia last minute and to avoid any stress for anybody or, or mishaps was the point of that, but um, you see, when, when I messaged him, and like, here's the passage, I put the number three instead of the number one. So it was going to be John 1, 19 through 34, not John 3, 19 through 34. So I'm sitting back, you know, I'm sitting in the back, um, and Derek starts, okay, we're in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 34, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't think so. And of course, the first thought is like, how did he mess that up? <laughs> right? Because, you know, we always think it's the other person, right? Whenever there's like a mess up, we always assume first it's the other person. And then later on, um, I looked at my text messages and I go, no, that was, that was 100% me. <laughs> I'm the one who did that. Um, but it was a great message. And I know at least one person um, noted later how impactful it was, you know, for their life. And it's like, God knows. God's got it under control. You know, and, and one of the most reassuring things that I've read recently is like, like when God called you, he factored in you. <laughs> right? Like when God called you, he factored you in. Like all of your mistakes and mishaps and everything, and he still works and works through that. And isn't that one of the most comforting things that you could possibly hear this morning? Is that God factored you in when he called you. Despite myself. Exactly. Despite us, God uses us. Now, certainly he works in spite of and through all of our honest mistakes. Sometimes in his grace he even... Um, works despite our our sin and our our, our sins of omission or commission or our, our disobedience or our failure to follow through 100%, that even in those things, um, God's grace is often, you know, abundant. But certainly, in the honest errors that we all make all the time, you know, we beat ourselves up. That's what they're, oh, oh, goodness, you know, the whole... We got this series, we know we're going through the book, and it's step by step, and all this, and we can get worked up about something like that. Why? Why? Like, God's got it under control. You know, so give yourself this morning, if you take one thing away outside of this passage that we're going to be in in John chapter 1, it's 
give yourself a little space to breathe. Don't be so hypercritical of yourself or others with you know the honest errors that we all we all make. But also, you know, we want that grace extended to us, so let's also extend it to others. You know, you go through the drive through you get the wrong order. It's human error. Let's not get all mad. You know, I mean, if it happens to you like eight times in a row, you might let the manager know <laughs> or whatever. But, gotcha you know, it's not, it, you know, it's human error. So, like, let's, let's leave account. Let's leave space for that. Let's leave space for that. And, of course, there can be... Um, Again, honest mistakes, you know, let's, it, it's that combination of things. And at the same time, um, you know, Sunday afternoon when we left here, um, a little while later, I got a message that was this like Kobe question mark. And I was like, what's going on? And then heard about the helicopter, you know, crash that took the lives of nine people and, you know, just tragic. And so for, y'all know I love basketball. And so, you know, for 20 years, I've, watched him play and being a Celtics fan he's always been quote unquote the enemy as those Lakers you know and that's a funny thing that happens you know I remember being a kid now this is strange this was strange for like a generation growing up growing up now but I can remember when we first got a TV and I remember watching the Celtics and the Lakers, you know, play in the finals. And it was kind of just like green was my favorite color. So I picked green. So from then on, I've been a Celtics fan. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, and then because of that, then you don't like the Lakers. You know, it's kind of funny how these things, you know, happen to you in your life. It's kind of like logically looking back, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that's how it, how it happened. And I can distinctly remember, you know, crying in my bed when the Lakers beat the Celtics one year um, in the finals. Um, so they were always the, the enemy. But Kobe, you had to respect because of how hard he worked. And one of the things he said, he said, you know, I'm, um, I know God gave me a lot of talent, but I always want to practice like I'm the 12th man on the team trying to keep my job. You know, and that was his mentality. So, I mean, he, he outworked, having all that talent that other people would have, you know, kind of skated by on their, their talent and just had a nice career, you know, he wasn't content with that. He outworked everybody. Nobody could say they worked harder than he did over those 20 years. Um, nobody could. And so you have to respect, you know, that. And then obviously... Um, you know, with his, with the other people there, and just thinking about those, those parents with their daughters. You know, it, and in that moment, like it didn't matter. Um, the fame didn't matter. The amount of money didn't matter. Kobe's one of the best conditioned humans ever, in terms of physical abilities strength and speed it did not matter there was nothing he could do to save his daughter or daughter's life or anyone else's and it's just a reminder that even the strongest among us are incredibly fragile we are all fragile like life 
is fragile. Life, even if lived to a full life expectancy, is incredibly short. It's a very small span of time. And so it's with that in mind, as we look in John chapter 1, we see the importance um, of the ministry of John the Baptist. And remember that last week was in John chapter 3, there's more of John the Baptist in those words that Derek reminded us of last week. You know, repeatedly, he must, Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And so let's remember all of that as we pick up in verse 19 of chapter 1. It says, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. They said, are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your great grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you work in spite of our many imperfections. Um, and Lord, help us this morning, even now, to focus on you and to work hard for your, for your glory. And we thank you for your great love for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, and so, here we have this scene. John is in the wilderness. Remember, he's eating locusts and wild honey. He's dressed in camel hair. You know, he's, people are coming out. And hearing his message, and it's obviously, you know, something powerful is going on because, you know, it's not just that he was dressed with uncomfortable clothing or odd clothing or that he was eating locusts and wild honey. You know, you could write that pretty all write that off pretty easily as somebody who was, you know, having some mental struggles. Um, but the words that he was speaking that he was speaking of truth and the necessity of repentance called the people and they understood that something was happening here. And even the religious leaders in Jerusalem are curious about what is happening out there in the desert because it's not happening in Jerusalem where they would expect it to happen in the city of the king. You know, they're, if they're, they're thinking prophecy is going to be fulfilled, it's going to be fulfilled you know, with them. And here it is out in the wilderness. And so they sent priests and Levites to check it out. And they said, are you the Christ? I mean, are you the Messiah? You know, are you the promised one? And the answer to that is no. And are you Elijah? And the answer to that is no, even though Jesus I think later says that one greater... Um, is here, but then the prophet, and they said no. Now, this had to do with a misunderstanding that these first century um, religious leaders had, um, because they, they, some of them thought that the prophet, you know, and the Christ could be different, um, different people. 
So the prophet, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. So it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And so some of them thought that it was, that this was someone different than the Messiah. And of course we know like, you know, Islam has, you know, jumped on, on that um, verse. And so sometimes when you're, you know, talking with a, um, a Muslim person, they will say, well, doesn't it talk about the prophet? And the prophet is, you know, Muhammad. Well, there's a way that you can um, show that that's not the case. You can explain first, you know, the misunderstanding that the, these Jewish people had at this time. Okay, so you can do that, and then you can also say, well, if if Muhammad was a, you know, a, the the prophet that is spoken out about here, we would expect a consistent message from the Old Testament prophets, from Jesus, the apostles whom Jesus had trained and who spoke in the New Testament, and then Muhammad himself, right? We would expect a consistent message, and we would expect that message to be consistent, particularly about Christ, but it isn't. And so therefore, because that message is not consistent, you know, we can see that Muhammad is not the prophet that is being talked about in Deuteronomy, or that was misunderstood by the people um, in this time, but it's really referring again back to um, you know it's referring to Jesus, who is um, who is the Messiah, the prophet. He is everything, just like he is the priest and the sacrifice. You know, he, Jesus fulfills all necessary roles, um, and that shows his power and his uniqueness. So that's just something for you to put in your in your pocket that you may need at a future time, you know, in life is something for your for your tool belt, um, so to speak. But um, you know, and I, I hope that you're able to have some of those conversations with people moving forward in your life. Now um, in verse twenty four it says, Now they have been sent from the Pharisees they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So, here we see John the Baptist, um, as we see again in chapter 3, he must increase, I must decrease that John the Baptist was, was humble. What I mean by that is he had an accurate view of himself. Um, he knew that he was not the, only, the ultimate one. He knew he was not the Christ. He knew that Jesus was the one that people um, should look to. 
and he is consistent in that perspective, in that in that message. He does not um, fall victim to the the potential of of pride um, and pride about his own ministry, and he certainly would have had um, temptation to be prideful. He would certainly have reason to be prideful. He's, you know, out there preaching and all these people from all over are, are coming, you know, to hear him and yet he doesn't make it about himself. Well, we all struggle with this, whether um, our influence is small or great. We all still struggle with the temptation to make things about ourselves. John the Baptist gave us this example and showed us how to make things about Jesus. So the one with the probably the greatest temptation to make his ministry about himself gave us the greatest example of how to make the ministry about Jesus. So in your heads, in your hearts, more importantly, just tell yourself the truth. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Keep telling yourself that until you believe it. <laughs> you know, if you don't believe it, if you know in your heart you don't believe that, like, go to the Lord and say, Lord, make my heart and my mind line up with your truth, with reality. It's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. And the verse 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, can we stop there just for a second? I, I hate to only go just one more verse, but he saw him coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, how huge of a statement is that? He didn't say, um, you know, here's, here's somebody who can, can, can help you live a little bit better life. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now you think about the lambs, so many lambs sacrificed all the time. Um, as we see throughout the Old Testament, so many lambs. And then, you know, you have the, the Day of Atonement, um, you know, kind of this sacrifice for the nation, but, you know, that had to be done every Day of Atonement, <laughs> every year. And there was going to be one who would come, though, as Isaiah 53 tells us, but you know, there's going to be one who will come, as it says here, who takes away the sin of the world, that his sacrifice would be enough for all people everywhere, for all time, and he only had to do it once. One ultimate 
sacrifice. Now, again, that's not universalism because it, it only um, is effectual to those who are saved by grace through faith. Okay, so we don't make this into a universalism. Well, Jesus died for everybody, therefore everybody is ultimately okay. That's not what the scripture teaches. But he paid for everything. John again tells us that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. He's the full payment. I had a conversation um, with a, it was actually, a, it's like a neighbor's son who's staying there for a while. And, um, and Eduardo and I were talking about our, um, the flea market ministry and, and, and outreach and just also just talking about the need to be more bold and, you know, our meeting's done. Eduardo goes, you know, to leave and Scott calls out to me. He's like, hey, what sort of, what sort of work y'all do? So I go over and talk to him. We start having this conversation. And I was thinking, I was about to walk away. And then I was like, I mean, we just talked about being bold. You know, we talked about sharing our faith with, with boldness. And he says, um, he had brought up um, Kobe the situation because he's from out in California. And I said, well, you know, so what do you think would happen to you? You know, when, if you died. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I, I know I'd go to heaven. I said, really? That's great. Like, like how, do you, how do you know that? He's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a good person. I said, okay, I have no doubt. You know, you're a good person. I said, do you know what hell's full of? He goes, you're going to come back kind of strange. He's like, know what? Good people. He's like, hell's just full of good people. <laughs> and he's like, never, never you know, he kind of like a little bit of shock. Like, like, like what? <laughs> and I was like, and then so then I used the law, you know, to explain, like, have you ever told a law? I was like, I mean, your version of good doesn't meet God's standard. So yeah, hell is full of good people. I'm not saying you're it's like awful, terrible person. I'm just saying you've offended a just and holy God. And somebody's got to pay for that. He's kind of like... I said, so I, you know, then I asked him if he had you know, read the Bible. And he was like, no, when I was a kid. I never read the Bible. I was like, okay, um... Read John chapters 1 through 4. And let's talk about it. So, he said he would. We'll see this week. If we get to have a follow-up conversation. But, there's so many people who think that their own goodness is going to get them to heaven. Folks, that's, it's just an impossibility. It's just an impossibility. 
because this isn't it's almost like people are trying to play like whack-a-mole you know with their sin and you know in the sense of like oh i got this sin well let me do this good thing and hit that one down you know like they can just pay for you know they got this like pile of sins but if they can throw enough good things on the other side they can move the scales and undo themselves the bad that they've done folks it just doesn't work it doesn't work that way the sin is done the damage is done and it can't just it's not a game of addition and subtraction what it is is that God through Jesus the Lamb of God pays for covers our sin through the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. That's it. So all false religions, including some that have the word Christian in them, the salvation depends on the person's ability to be quote-unquote good enough to outdo their bad. Well, so-and-so was a good person. You can say what you want at my funeral, but don't give people the impression that I'm receiving anything because of my goodness. It's the grace of Jesus. It's the goodness of Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God who took away my sin, period. So this is he, verse 30, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Now, remember, the earthly parents of Jesus the earthly parents of John the Baptist are related. The leaping of John the Baptist in the womb when in the presence of Mary carrying Jesus. Yet he says, he existed before me. See, John the Baptist is is stating here clearly that Jesus is more than human. You know, humans, as just humans, we have a, despite what some false religions teach, we have a definite beginning at conception. Not before then. You weren't some spirit waiting for a body. There's a, there's a creation that takes 
place. But Christ existed beforehand. That's, he also says, before Abraham was, I am. He is the pre, he is the eternal Christ. He is the eternal Christ. We don't know, it doesn't seem like um, John the Baptist and Jesus grew up together, but in any any case, the um, full knowledge and identifying of Jesus as the Messiah was, was hidden from John until the time was right for him to be revealed. And he makes a difference between the baptism of, that he is giving and the baptism that Jesus would give. His baptism was a, a baptism of pre- preparation. It was um, symbolic in some ways of like the Old Testament washings, um, preparing people to go in, you know, to go to the, into the, the tabernacle or the temple. So into the presence. So it was, it was that sort of a preparation as he's one preparing the way. But Jesus, his baptism is different because he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He says, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so, again, his, John the Baptist knows his ministry is to make the name of Jesus great. Again, I'm not using this you can apply it easily to vocational ministry of people today, of people who minister the gospel, but I mean, just every single last one of us has a, my ministry, as in my purpose, is to point people to Jesus, not to make a name for myself. The whole purpose is get people to the feet of Jesus. That's our, that's our role. And this continues, that theme continues. It says in verse 35, again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So John the Baptist is actually going to lose disciples. You know, he's losing people that he has built into. He has built into their lives and taught them you know, the way of God. But they're not all going to stay with him. Some are going to go and, and follow Jesus and, and directly. I mean, they're all following Jesus, understand that. But in terms of their role in ministry and what they're going to be doing, these two heard him speak and they followed Jesus. You know what you don't find here? You don't find John the Baptist protesting and going... But what about me? I had kind of worked with these two guys, and, I, and they're really helpful for what, I, what I'm doing in helping you, so if I could just keep them, that would be great. <laughs> you don't find that. You see, he just is going to let them go. He knows his role. Let's continue on. And Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. 
And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And that was about the tenth hour. And one of the two heard John speak and followed him, that's Jesus, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So, Andrew was one of the two, and he follows, and then he gets his brother, who we know is Peter. When Andrew found what was, what was wonderful, he didn't just try to keep that to himself, he shared it. Um, and, and we see that that is the type of person that, just, that Andrew was. Uh, we see it later on um, in the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children that it was Andrew who says, here's the boy with the fish and the loaves. You find some Greeks that in John chapter 12 who want to talk to Jesus and they go to Philip and Philip goes to Andrew and Philip and Andrew go to Jesus. See, what, what Andrew wanted to do once he found the Messiah was just introduce people to the Messiah. That's what he wanted. Because he had something good, and so he wanted to share that. And so that's, I mean, if we all, I mean, John the Baptist, Andrew, that heartbeat is the same. Jesus. You know, and that's the heartbeat of every authentic ministry, whether just on a personal level of the people you, you go to class with or that you work with or that you are, are around in the community or the Lord gives you an opportunity to take a little time and to go to some other community and to share with them, like the heart of true ministry on any scale is, I just want people to know Jesus. It doesn't matter the smallest scale or the largest scale. If it's authentic, it brings people to Jesus. It doesn't pump up the one who is showing Jesus. That person is certainly not pumping themselves up. But the one, the glory, the attention to be on Jesus. Well, folks, I mean, I'm as human as the rest of you, and that's not easy. Because we have a little thing called self. That's not such a little thing. We have a, a, another little thing that's certainly not a little thing, ego. We have these things. And we have to be real and honest that we have these things. And, and we like to receive the attention.
but those great examples that we see in this chapter of John the Baptist and of Andrew and their heartbeat is come see Jesus Jesus called Simon did you be called Cephas which is translated as stone you know Jesus is the ultimate rock he's the one everything else is built on but even you know Peter uses that and in in his writings and says that we are 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 little stones to be built on the rock as the house of God so Peter Peter took what Jesus had given him and he applied it to the rest of us. And that's a wonderful thing. But let's also remember Simon at this point you know he agrees basically he's going to you're going to follow Jesus. Like Jesus called him, but Simon has to be like, all right, looks like I'm going to be Cephas. <laughs> looks like I'm going to be a stone. <laughs> you know, and, and takes those first steps of obedience, not knowing everything he's going to get into. The Lord, I think, is gracious to us a lot of times, not letting us know everything we're going to get into when we first start following Jesus because we might chicken out. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if I want all that. He's gracious and he doesn't give us more than we can handle at a time. Man, God's good to us. I mean, just what we've talked about this morning, like, he's factored in our humanity he doesn't give us more than we can handle out of time. Like God is gracious and compassionate. We'll finish it up, this chapter, in just a minute. It says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And so just go back just a second. You can't you, get that. I'm sure they're telling each other stories about what they heard and what they said and all these things. And you get this thing. Jesus says, come and see. And now um, Nathaniel, or sorry, Philip is the one saying to Nathaniel, come and see. It's like whatever Jesus tells us, we, we want to tell other people. We want to continue that same, the same themes. We're not... See, think about it this, folks. We're not making up our own stories. We don't, get, we, don't, we don't have to make up a story. We don't have to create a doctrine, a teaching, a system, or any of those things. We're just like, here's Jesus. Here's what he said. 
our job's not that hard. We don't have to make up anything new. Like everything you, we, we need to give somebody is in the scripture. We're not like, well, we need to give you the scripture plus some other things. So again, now, now Philip, see it wasn't just Andrew who had this mentality of like, let me go tell somebody, let me go tell my brother. Now Philip is like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go tell Nathaniel. But Nathaniel, I mean, he's a little bit skeptical. Like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, like, I think if he was here today, I mean, he'd definitely be an SEC football fan, and whichever team he was for, like, you would know it, and you would know what he thought about the other teams. He'd be like, anything good come out of Florida Gators? Don't think so. Tim Tebow. <laughs> so, yeah, got that one. We all agree with that. I'll love us some Tebow. Um, Ain't nothing good comes out of Tennessee, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some believers there would argue, but anyway, um, you know, he was, he was, um, see, he knew what it was like in Nazareth. He knew there was a large Roman garrison there. He knew a lot of the people had acquiesced in that area to kind of the Roman way and all of that. And he's like, Anything good really come from, like, where the enemy's capped out? Like, come on. But Jesus is there. And wherever Jesus is, there's some, some, good, some good things. And I think there's some other lessons there for us, too. And just, you know, one is just, like, not to, um, not to assume things, but to examine each individual. You know, people are still doing this today, right? Well, so, well, this person's from this place. Well, we know what that place is like. It's like we don't need to answer, ask any more questions. So people are still making those stereotypes, you know, today. And usually those stereotypes are within reason. So I'm not saying, like, shut off all, like, thought processes in terms of, uh, of that. But, but we have to be careful that that doesn't dictate than how we treat people and how we think and that we're become unwilling to look further and deeper and to consider you know each one and even then I mean how gracious is our God throughout time and history we have seen God take some of the most like ruthless people and radically change their lives. Who wrote Amazing Grace? A slave trader. I mean, he was involved in some, some foul stuff. That's, that's as, 
about as low as you can go. And God redeemed him. God redeemed him. Our God is a gracious, powerful God who can reach down and pull us up out of the mire, out of the mud. Our God is a good God. And he even associated with the lowly. I mean, Jesus, you think about Jesus and you think about the, you know, where he was, was born in, in, in humility and then having to flee, his family having to flee to, to Egypt for, for protection and then coming back and then setting up home in, in Nazareth like We have these, these lowly steps all the way. Not born in a palace. Did not grow up in Jerusalem. Or one of the other cities that would be acceptable or expected that the Messiah would come from. But he grows up in Nazareth. And God is always surprising us. And will continue to. In how he works and what he does. In verse 47 it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Now Jesus doesn't say this about everybody by any means. But Nathanael, he looks at it and goes, this is a high character dude. You know what this high character dude still needed? Jesus. Yes, absolutely right. Still needed Jesus. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. see, Jesus revealed himself in that way to Nathaniel because he knew Nathaniel was someone who would receive it. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. See, Nathaniel's going to get to walk with Jesus, and in the next chapters, he's going to see, get to see all sorts of amazing things that Jesus does. He'll you know, hear the power of his teaching, and see the power of his miracles, and be in the power of his presence. But he's, gonna, he's about to go on a, on a pretty wild ride. He has no clue what he's about to experience, and what he's going to have to endure. But the Lord called him. And, and one of the things I, I, in, in Jesus' 
ministry that you see in his calling of people is he calls like we've got fishermen, we've got some you know people, we've got zealot, we've got somebody here who's um, you know as honest as the day is long, and we've got Matthew the tax collector who kind of makes his how tax collectors do, and and hanging out with notorious sinful people in the community. And what it shows is that Jesus will take anybody from any place on his terms. See, Jesus doesn't take any of those people on their terms. He doesn't adjust himself to them. He's the unchangeable one. To be with him, each of these people had to ultimately change their ideas and their perspectives. Like Nathaniel has to have a change of perspective here, and he has one pretty quick. He goes from, can anything good come out of Nazareth to, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. <laughs> I mean, boom! <laughs> you know, he, he changes. Even though he was a good dude, good dude, he still had to change. So it doesn't matter who the person is or where they come from, the person always has to change. Jesus stays the same. He's the unchangeable, unmovable rock that people either build their lives on or they stumble and crash on. He's the rock. We have to be really, really clear. He is the rock that people will build their lives on or he is the rock that will ultimately crush them. Because though he went and died on the cross, he's returning as king and he is not the one who is ultimately crushed. He is the one who does the crushing. And he is also the one who people can build their lives and stand on. He is the rock. He's the unmovable, unchangeable one. So what we are calling people to do, and what we are when we are telling people, here's Jesus, with that comes the message of, here's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who died on the cross for your sins, who rose again. He's the immovable rock. You can build your life on him. He's also the judge, and he's the just judge, and you will have to pay. So that, if you, if you don't believe in him, that is the reality of the situation, folks. That is the reality of the situation. I'm afraid that we've made this compromise and I feel like I, there's many times where I've made this compromise where we kind of end up with here's Jesus he's the best you should have him but if you don't it's kind of it's, it's alright folks it's not alright we kind of like it's okay I mean if you want to take a different path you do you And do we, do we really understand the ramifications of people rejecting Jesus? And if we do, how can we be so cavalier about people's eternities? 
So in every situation, we need discernment. And I'm not telling you to go and just become like a hellfire brimstone preacher. I'm not. But folks, the Bible hasn't changed. God's perspective hasn't changed. Just because people don't want to believe in hell today, God's not like, again, remember, he's the immovable one. He's like, well, you know what? Y'all kind of thought that that wasn't cool anymore. Like, or not a good idea. So, yeah, we're not going to have hell anymore. You see, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. The world can say, well, there's nothing bad that's going to happen to you and everything's okay. That doesn't make it so. The problem isn't that the world, the problem there isn't the world. The problem there is the church acquiescing to the world. That's the problem. The problem there is the church becoming so unloving that it won't tell the truth anymore. That's the problem. The church becoming so unloving that it won't tell the truth anymore, that it's traded truth for a law and then calls the law love. It's the ultimate deception. It's the ultimate deception. Folks, we still have to believe and teach the truth even when the truth is uncomfortable. And more and more, day by day, the truth is uncomfortable. The world goes further and further away from the truth of Jesus. But if we're loving, we have to let people know that. Or we can't claim to be loving. So we have some options there, right? You cannot tell the truth. But you can't say, well, I'm not going to tell the truth and I still want to be called I'm a loving person. By what definition is that love? We've got to love people. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We gotta love people enough to tell them the truth. We gotta love people enough to have a hard conversation. And not just the conversation that eases our conscience that we've done our part. May God help us to be people who tell the truth, who live the truth. Set an example of the truth. And don't compromise the truth. But say, come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. Your goodness to us. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment in every situation and all things. Lord, we know it's not a cookie-cutter sort of deal, but Lord, we also know that you have called us to tell people to look to your Son. 
and that you have called us to be people who love enough to tell the truth. And we know that in truth, your grace is sufficient. In truth, your love is greater than all of our sin. We know in truth, your love and your grace are greater than the punishment that we deserve. We know in truth, Jesus, you are our all in all. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Help us to be bold for you today and always in your name, Jesus. As we take the bread and the cup, we give you thanks. And we say, please examine our hearts and please help us to tell others so that, Lord, they could enjoy taking that bread and that cup in spirit and in truth. That they could enjoy the joy that we have of being in right relationship with you. That they would know the joy that we have in worshiping you. The joy that we have in studying your word. The joy that we have in prayer. The joy that we have in work for your glory. Lord, that they would know your joy. And so as we take that bread and cup, we say thank you. And we ask that even this morning, we would experience your joy in your presence. In your name, Jesus. Amen.